Amen. You know, life groups change lives. It helps when we get plugged in and we start to have relationship together, one with another. And God's called us to that, to that kind of bonding, that kind of fellowship. You know, I, I've said it before that you, you make acquaintances here on Sunday morning. Friendships are built in the trenches. When you begin to serve together and have life together and do life together, that's where you form these kind of bonds that, you know, all these unique pieces start coming together, like Nathan said, and fit together. And God creates something wonderful. But I also want to challenge you with this. Maybe, maybe, life group, maybe it's not all about you. When Ray was given testimony about that person that sent a message out, what if that person had decided that life group wasn't important enough? What if they hadn't joined or been a part? What if they hadn't been led of the Lord to share the message that they shared that Ray gave his, truly gave his heart to the Lord through? Maybe, maybe that's what God has in mind. I wonder. I'm gonna share a bit about this a little bit today because again, we, we can get so focused inward that you know, oh no, I don't, I don't. You know what? If that's where you're at, you're mistaken. You're out of, it's not what God wants. I, I, I. It should be more along the lines of we or they or God, what's he calling? What's he wanting us to do? So I'm going to share with you today, I, I, it's kind of a, a bit of a difficult message, um, but I hope you'll stay with me here. It's important. I, I don't know, you know, as I was going through this, I was, gonna, I was trying to hurry and go through, it's like we're at a stage because I've got some other things I want to share with you in this coming year. And so I was hurrying through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, you know, I got to hurry through the Beatitudes so I can preach what I want to get to. And as I was going through this, I was going, man, oh man, who in the world do I think I am to speed through Jesus' sermon, <laughs> to make light of what he has to say so that I can get to what I want to say. You know, I'm sorry for that because that is out of line. And uh, this is what God wants to do. God desires for us to dig into what he has to say. Because this sermon is not for the faint at heart. This sermon on the mount, this place, where he, this is tough stuff. Jesus isn't all, you know, kumbaya all the time, you know. It's not all just about love, love, love. You know what? He is a righteous judge who came to save us, but he never stopped being a righteous judge. Our God is about power and authority as well. And we have to understand that in the sermon, when Jesus is teaching and preaching, he does not, listen, he's not codependent. Oh, I hope I didn't hurt their feelings. Yeah, I mean, you know what? Jesus will hurt your feelings. If you're reading the word the way the word is intended to be reading, you, you will find that Jesus will hurt your feelings. And if he doesn't hurt them today, come back next week. He will, but you know what? Only the truth can set you free. Amen. And so often we get bound up in a lie. We get bound up in something that is a lie. And we create in ourselves this place where we have deemed it as truth. But that's not truth. And therefore it has no ability to set you free. 
So we have to see what God is saying and dig into this. And, and again, this will step on some of our toes, but it should. Amen. amen. You say amen now. I haven't gotten to it yet. So <laughs> you just remember, you made a commitment to be in church. That was your New Year's resolution, right? <laughs> you can't stop just because you don't like the messenger. Let's read through this. I want to I go through this, and, and uh, I want to take the time to take a look at what it is that Jesus is saying in this sermon as Luke has recorded it for us. In uh, Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 17, we will ultimately go through verse 36. Today, we're going to only end up going through the first uh, 10 verses or so. So uh, we talked last week about this, verse 17. And he came down with them and stood on a level place. Talking about Jesus, he came to this level place and there was a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea. And so you've got Judea and Jerusalem. If you look at the map, they're down here. And then you've got uh, from Judea and Jerusalem and then from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. So there's this big spance of place that all these people have been drawn from and they came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all of the crowd sought to touch him for power came out of him and healed them all. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the life that's in your word and I pray that that life would make its way unto each and every heart soul, and mind. I thank you, Lord God, for doing what only you can, and I thank you for the life that's in your word. I pray today, Lord, that you would set us free, that you would minister healing to those that are sick and bound up. I pray today for deliverance for those who are afflicted. I pray today, Lord, that your word would do what you designed it to do before the beginning of time, and today, Lord God, help us to rightly divide and to rightly receive the wholeness of your word. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen? So last week, I started with talking about the area that Jesus was preaching in and these little towns that were all over the place and these people that were being drawn to Jesus for all of these miraculous things that Jesus was doing. And these crowds were coming out and these people were coming. But these people in those areas, these were people that were simple people. These were people that... that for most part, had, you know, they couldn't read, they were illiterate, they, they didn't have, there was no, you know, no running water, no electricity in their homes. These people were from tiny little towns, most of them were from under 50 people. So these were some very simple, ordinary people that were coming out to see Jesus. And we talked about all of that last week. I'm not going to go back into much more of it. But I just want to reiterate, these were very simple people. And then Jesus, then Luke describes what Jesus begins to teach. And I want you to, to, to listen to what it is that Luke is telling us that Jesus taught. And I want you to, again, ask the Lord to help us to hear what it is that Jesus has in this. So, Starting in verse 20 then, going on, this is what he starts to teach. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said. So again, we, we see Jesus, and Jesus does this over and over and over again in Scripture. He lifts up his eyes. Jesus is all about catching eye contact. 
And he begins to get eye contact with his disciples, with these people that are there, these people that have come from all over the place. They're struggling, they're bound, they need healing, they need deliverance. They're there for all sorts of different reasons and all sorts of different things. But he begins to look and begins to get eye contact with these people and starts to relate now with those in whom he has eye contact. Okay, because that's what eye contact does. Eye contact causes, for for most people, the deepest form of, of, of relation and connection happens through eye contact. So Jesus gets eye contact with, he says, his disciples those who were following him, those who came for the, the reasons and purposes that Jesus came for. And he says this to these people, this group of people. He says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Rejoice in that day. Rejoice in what day? When you're poor and hungry and weeping and people hate you and exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day? Wait a minute. That's not what we rejoice. We rejoice in the opposite of that. He says rejoice in this. And then he not only does he say rejoice, he says leap for joy. Man, I mean, he's talking about dancing. Leap for joy. We have a hard time lifting our hands, let alone our feet. And he's talking about a day when people are struggling. To a, he's talking to a group of people that were having hard times, difficult places, stuff that you and I can't even relate to. And he says, rejoice in that day, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. And then I think Jesus readjusts his view. I think Jesus, again, begins to connect with a new crowd. A crowd of people that weren't there for the same reasons. A crowd of people that were there for wrong reasons. A people that were there to judge and to persecute and to do all of the things that he just described were being done to these people. And he lifts up his eyes and he, go, he says to these people, he gets new eye contact and he says this, but woe. Now we look at that word and we think, ah, oh, that's no big, whoa, whoa, stop it, whoa. If you look up the Greek, what that word woe means it means a state of intense hardship or distress, disaster, horror. This is not a kindly thing that he's talking about. This is something, whoa, whoa, there's disaster, there's horror to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Whoa. To you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. 
man, I want to make sure that scripture come, come to pass. I'm going to go to Walmart and be a jerk. That's not the kind of bad speaking that he's talking about. Okay? He, 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 he says, woe to you when people speak well of you. So that your fathers, so what your fathers did to the false prophets. So what I want us to see is that Jesus is giving us these two contrasting kingdoms. He's talking about two absolutely different contrasting kingdoms. They're, and he's presenting in each one different uh, countercultural kingdom ethics. There's an ethic in each and every one of these kingdoms, and one of them is cultural and one is countercultural. Jesus is presenting the one of the kingdoms of this earth, and the other one, he's presenting the ethics of the kingdom of God. And he's presenting this cultural kingdom and comparing it, contrasting it with God's kingdom. And, church, I'll tell you, let me right up front, we're going to finish with this too. What kingdom we identify with will establish our lifestyle. How we live, what we do, how we talk, how we speak, how we treat others, how you speak to the waitress at the restaurant you go to. I got quiet. Look, what kingdom we identify with will establish our lifestyle. And if you see yourself simply as a citizen of this kingdom, your kingdom here, your kingdom here on earth, listen, this may be as close to heaven as you ever get. And Jesus says, woe to you. Disastrous, horrifying things to you. This is not what I came to church to hear today. It's the first of the year. Where's our feel-good sermon? Well, here you go. For those who are citizens of his kingdom, for those who have committed their heart to Jesus Christ, who have received grace and forgiveness of sin and are now living ourselves because we desire to live by kingdom rules and kingdom authority, he says that this is as close to hell as you will ever get. And therefore, blessed are you. But these kingdom ethics for each kingdom are different. They're completely different. And what Jesus is doing is he is distinguishing two things here. It's even, I mean, it's even written into our constitution. He is, he is in this culture today. He is dis- contrasting this pursuit of happiness with the pursuit of blessedness. In church, the pursuit of happiness, in this culture, the pursuit of happiness will never lead you to blessedness. But God tells us that the pursuit of blessedness will always lead to happiness. Yes, it will. He, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he, and he tells us that we will be happy in all of those things. Doesn't mean that all of our circumstances are going to change and turn around. It didn't for these people he's preaching to. It means that in blessedness, we will find the joy of the Lord. Yes, Man, and there's nothing, there's nothing that will make us happier than the joy of God. So, inside of these kingdom ethics and these things that he's speaking to us, there's four things that I'm going to point out, four things that I think we need to look at. And, and again, there are things that are going to confront us because there are places where we can create idols. And I know how, you know, well, no, I, we, we don't have any idol worship, but you know what? It is prevalent everywhere. 
It's all around us. And so there's four things I want to bring up and talk about. One first thing that he talks about is wealth. And, and what he says is that in his kingdom, those who are poor in this life will be rich. He says in verse 20, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. That is a powerful statement with extreme contrast. And then for those who are rich in this life, he says, you will be poor. Verse 24, he says, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Now, let me also say, I do not believe that Jesus is teaching that, you know, those who are poor are just always going to be more righteous than those who are rich. I, I think there's an obvious place where it becomes easy when we have a lot to be able to be consumed with a lot. And therefore, it makes it easy when we have a lot, like we have in America, to see wealth becoming an idol in our lives. But just because someone is poor does not mean that they're more righteous than someone that's rich. That's not what Jesus is teaching. That's not what he's talking about. There are a lot of ways that you can be unrighteous and poor. There's a lot of ways which you can be righteous and rich. You can be poor and yet still be unrighteous. And and again, a couple of those ways in which we can do that is one of the, the first things that we do is be lazy. You can be, listen, you can be poor because you're lazy. Because you don't have a work ethic and you're not willing to step out and to do the hard things. You're just plain lazy. Proverbs calls that person a sluggard. Okay, that's what the Bible says. And that sluggard, that person who's lazy, if a person doesn't work, the Bible says they shouldn't eat. That's because you're lazy. Or they're lazy. Not in here, everyone out there. (laughs) People that are poor because they're lazy not blessed. And there's also then people that are poor because of injustice. People, people who rob other people. People who think that everything is theirs. People who cheat. People who lie. People who steal. People who are greedy. People who don't, don't care about you or don't care about your stuff. And they hoard and they do all these things. And ultimately it costs everything because God's judgment pours out in their life. Hey, I mean, that way in which you can be poor, an unrighteous way. But there's righteous ways which many people today are still poor. There's people that are righteously poor through tragedy. I mean, some of you have experienced some of that where, where either you got sick or somebody in your family got sick. A parent that passed away or died, you got hurt on the job. One way or another, something happened and it, and, and it depleted your finances. It came against your income and, and now you're struggling and things are really difficult because of these things that have happened in your life, the tragedy. There's also righteous ways to be poor because of, uh, for many, they're poor because of Righteousness. These people, think about it, these people were born into meager circumstances. They were born into these meager places. And some, of, some people here have been born into these places where, you know what, we just never had anything. We grew up in poverty. We were raised up in poverty. And, and for some people and for many people in the world today, they're in that place still because they refuse, because of righteousness, they refuse to steal. They refuse to lie. They refuse to go out and to cheat people. They refuse to be greedy. It's like they're not what the Bible said as lovers of money. 
They refuse to let money become their idol. They're not people who have mammon or money or wealth or affluence as their God. And that's the kind of people that he's talking to here. He's talking to people who are in this place. These are people that are honest, hardworking people that are simply coming to Jesus. These are people that are simple people. Their circumstances are humble. These are people who are poor and struggling. And he says to those who are poor and struggling, he says, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Because in my Father's kingdom, in my kingdom, you will be lavishly rewarded. You will be lavishly provided for. You will be, listen, you will be rich. Hey, we're king's kids. And, and you know what? One day, though, in this world, we may struggle. One day, we will have prosperity. We will be rich. No matter what happens in this world, that's what happened to Jesus. Look, look, you know what? There, we, can, we can look at all the wealth in the world. We can look at, you know, uh, Bezos or Elon Musk. They, you know what? They don't have anything compared to Jesus. Amen. Jesus has streets of gold. Jesus, Jesus was rich, the Bible says, and, and he became poor. This is what happened to Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 8 9, it tells us, though he was rich for our sake, he became poor. Jesus was poor. In fact, he told us that he was homeless at a point. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. But he's not poor right now. He's not poor anymore. He is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. He is the resurrected. He is the ascended. He is the exalted king who is at the right hand of the Father ruling and reigning over a kingdom with riches that we could never even in our wildest dreams begin to even imagine. Jesus Christ right now is not poor. Right? He is not poor at all. He's not in humility. He is in glory. And he says, in those who belong to him, will be blessed as we follow him. And we may, they may, people may be poor. In his kingdom, there will be no poor. We will be rich and we will be lavishly provided for. Then he says, woe to those who are rich because you will become poor. Well, so, you know, every one of us are rich in somebody's eyes. So is, is money the problem? No. no, idolatry is the problem. It's when money becomes an idol in our life, when our identity is in what we have, when our identity is found in finances, in money, when it's all about making more money. Listen, if you're greedy and if you're stingy and it's all about status, it's all about your possessions, it's all about what you got, it's about accumulating more and more and more, if it's all about simply success in this world, then he's saying, woe to you because you worship money. And ultimately because of that, you will worship yourself. You will put yourself on your own throne. Because you make the accumulation of money and wealth the very center of your identity and your existence. And he says, woe to you. Woe, woe to you. Because on the other side, of, listen, on the other side of this life, you can't take the bank account, you can't take the car, you can't take the house, you can't take any of it. On the other side of this life, in the eternal life, you can't take any of it. 
And if you're counting on that, you're in trouble. Because God will judge you. He is a righteous judge. And in that, Jesus says, woe to you. Amen. Amen. Joni said, Mark, make sure you smile. (laughs) (laughs) Again, this is just, it's the word of God. And again, I believe what Jesus is saying is that we should have a long-term thinking when it comes to our wealth. Longer term than this world. Longer term than what we might be thinking. Wealth is one of these prominent countercultural kingdom values. And we have to look at it because he does. Because I believe this. If we get our money in line, if we get our money lined up, the rest of our life will follow along. Because where your treasure is, or where your treasure is, there your heart will follow. Your life will come in line with what it is as to where your treasure is because your heart will follow your treasure. What do you treasure? What do you treasure? Use your funds, use your finances, use your wealth, use your blessings to build God's kingdom, to see people come to salvation, and your life will move towards God. It will. Now, I know we don't like that, but... For those who are struggling with that statement, is it because it's unbiblical? Or is it because I've confronted your idol? Amen. (laughs) I'm smiling, Joni. (laughs) Okay, you like that one? All right, well, let's let's go ahead and hit this one. (laughs) I got to get this sermon out of the way. Number two, he examines comfort. Comfort. Verse 21. Blessed are you who are hungry now. And again, if you look through that and study that, I know Charles and I had a discussion about this. I know that, that you know, there's this place where we're looking at, you know, hungry for God, hungry for the things of God. He's in this, and I agree with all that. But here, he's talking about food. I mean, that's like in fasting. We, 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 we can make it about all sorts of things. Fasting is food. You, don't, you can't fast TV. Okay? It's, it's all, fasting is food. You can sacrifice those things, but fasting is food. Here, he's talking about hunger, and I want to share with you why. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. And he says, blessed will you be those who are hungry in the kingdom, those who are hungry now, because you will, in his kingdom, you will eat well. You will be provided for well. But then in verse 25, he says, but woe, woe. Remember what that word means. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Now, we have to confront this because he's talking about this this place of cursed or those who are gluttons. And over-consuming. Because in, in his kingdom, he says, you will be hungry. Because on the other side of this life, on the other side of this life, there are riches untold. There are rewards for those who seek him first. Now, let me explain. Because I, this is not, he's not confronting weight issues. Hey, he's not. He, he, there's, he's not talking about those who are, you know, underweight or those who are overweight. He's not talking about that. 
What he's talking about here is the idolatry of the stomach. And Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 3. I put that into your notes if you opened those up. It's in there. But he talks about their God is their belly. Their God is their stomach. There are people who have food or their stomach has become a God in their life. And when that happens, when that person is sad, food becomes the comforter. When they're stressed, food becomes their reward. When they're done a good job, food becomes the celebration. Now, again, these are places where we've made something into an idol in our life. The feasting is not bad. Listen, there are feasts that God calls in his word. There are feasts that he wants us to entertain and be a part of. There are feasts that we have to look forward to in heaven to celebrate God and to celebrate his goodness. But all of those feasts have purpose, and it's not just for our self-satisfaction. It's to glorify God. It's to honor God, and it's to worship God with our feasts feasting. It is an act of worship. But just like with wealth, church, you can either worship God with your wealth or you can worship your wealth. And you can worship God with your food or you can worship your food. And there's this kingdom ethic here that he is dividing and separating for us in this place. What are we worshiping? But when somebody begins to worship food, that's where it becomes a problem. It can morph into all sorts of different eating disorders from one spectrum to the other. It can become all sorts of problems in people's lives because when we begin to worship anything other than God, it becomes as an idol a problem in our life and can lead to all sorts of self-destruction. And that's what happens in this place when we begin to worship food. Worship it. And it's hard because we all have to deal with food on a daily basis. It's, it's a difficult place. But when I was an alcoholic, when I was younger, I was an alcoholic. If you didn't know, I'm not proud of it, but I was. And my life, and you won't understand this if you're not an alcoholic, my life was consumed with where I was going to drink. Everything about my life was where are we going to drink. I'd get up in the morning and it was all about where are we going to drink tonight. Didn't matter where we went to dinner as long as we could drink. Didn't matter who we were going to see as long as we could drink there. We wouldn't go places where I wouldn't go places where I couldn't drink because I was all about, that's what my life was consumed with. Everything focused, it was centered, it revolved around where I was going to drink that day. Okay, I mean, listen, I could, I could get off of the alcohol if I could smoke weed for a little while. But then it all revolved around that. And everything was about getting high. Everything was about where are we going to drink? Where are we going to party? Where are we going to... Everything involved. And if you, if, you don't, if you never struggled with those kinds of addictions and you, don't, you have no idea what I'm talking about, that just sounds foolish to you. But in the same way that that happened to me, there are many people that will understand this, how much our lives revolve around the worship of our stomach. What Jesus is saying is is a person, listen, if your identity is found in food, 
If all you think about are your meals and rather than God, what are you gonna eat rather than the God who's provided for you? Your whole life is about this consumption and gluttony and over this and under that, this place where we're all about our feelings and what we can do here. And again, I'm not just limiting this. I don't wanna just limit this to just food because it does. It can also then involve alcohol. It can involve drugs. It can involve sexual behavior. It can involve all sorts of things that are all about our pleasure, all about our comfort. And when it's all about simply our pleasure and our comfort, Jesus says, woe to you. Woe to you. Because you're not going to God for comfort. And you're not going to God for reward. And you're not going to God for identity. And you're not going to God for security. And you're not going to God for significance. You're going to the refrigerator. And he says, woe to you. Not because of the food, but because at the center of your existence, there is someone or something other than Jesus. Amen? Amen. She'll love you. And, and, he, and he says to those who are hungry, those who were there, he says, blessed are you. Blessed are you. You're going to eat well in my kingdom. And, and I'll show you here in a minute. But we as Americans, we don't even understand all this. We think we do. But what's hunger to you? I mean, I got delayed an hour before I was able to go to lunch. What's hunger? We don't really understand what that even is. We don't really even know what that means. Listen, right now, I was thinking about this. Joni and I were talking. If the world ended today... Most of us could live for a year or two on the stuff we have in our basement, our freezers, and our refrigerators. We don't really even understand this whole concept of hunger. Look at the people that Jesus was talking to there. These were hardworking, poor people that had some traveled for days and days and days, and these people came, and these people had no food. Why did they have no food? McDonald's was closed. Were they, were they having supply chain shortages? Why did these people have no food? Is it because they just forgot to bring some? They, they forgot to load the cooler up before a trip. How, how dumb is that? No. The reason they didn't have any food is because they didn't have any food. In fact, you see, Jesus had to perform miracles in order to feed these people so that they didn't die on the way home. They knew what hunger was. We don't, we, we, our kids say, oh man, I'm starving. I think there's people in the world who would beg to differ. I mean, how many of us like that? Oh, I'm so starving. Anyway. Listen, the problem is the, the worship of these things, not the feasting. In fact, Scripture, it very clearly tells us that there's going to be feasting. In Isaiah, I put this Scripture in your, um, uh, in your notes, but in Isaiah chapter 25, God tells us that in his kingdom, that in the kingdom that's to come, he says that in that kingdom, there's going to be the very best of meats. There's going to be the very best of, of those things with marrow and the very finest aged wines. 
That's what God tells us in his kingdom that there's gonna be. In fact, you see in Revelations in the very end that Jesus, when Jesus comes in into truly, when we come into his kingdom and we're there with Jesus, there's going to be the supper, the marriage supper of the lamb. And at that supper, the nations will come together and there will be feasting there. Listen, God is into feasting. He is into us feasting with him. Feasting is not bad. Please don't take me wrong. Feasting is not a sin. But to worship your food is different than to worship with your food. It's completely different. And Jesus says, woe. Woe to you whose God is your stomach. You will eat well now. And I know you're full now. But you don't feed others. You're not generous. You don't care for the poor. You don't share with people that are in need. You don't care what other people are struggling with. And Jesus says, woe to you, because this may be, unless you change your heart, this may be as close to heaven as you ever get. And blessed are you who are hungry. You know who he was talking to? He was talking to people whose stomachs were growling, probably like some of yours are right now. It's lunchtime. How long is he going to be? He's blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are those whose stomachs were growling while he taught. Jesus was saying that because in his kingdom, oh, listen, in his kingdom, in this temporary kingdom, there may be some lack. But in my kingdom, there will be no lack. And blessed will you be as you have sought after me and not let this become an idol. Those who are hungry, blessed you shall be in my kingdom. And then he talks about the third thing is power. In verse 22, he says, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, he says, you will be blessed. Are you seeing the contrasting kingdoms here and the different ethics that are involved in each? He says, you will be blessed when these people, those of you who are mocked, those of you who are being oppressed, those of you that are suffering, those of you that have been locked out, cut out, made fun of, teased, talked down to, ignored, mistreated, those of you who have been maligned, those of you who have been abused. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been through that. You've experienced that in your life. Oftentimes in this world, those people are called victims. And in the world in which we live, in the culture in which we live, oftentimes, Many people today, they've been, they've been abused and raped and they have been molested and, and families have kicked them out and families have disowned them and families have, have made them change their name and disowned them all for the cause of Christ. People avoid you. People hate you. People won't talk to you because you're a Christian. People at work mock you and make fun of you because you chose not to have sex before getting married. People avoid all that there is to do with you. And Jesus says, blessed are those people. Blessed are those people. And he's talking about people that, honestly, in this place, people without any power. 
People with no say-so in what's going on. People, if someone who's had no prestige, people who had no prominence, people who, who were just deemed as totally unimportant and deemed as completely insignificant. And that's who Jesus is talking to. These people who were insignificant, people who seemingly had no value, people who couldn't understand why somebody would come to them like this because the other leaders that they knew didn't. Caesar never came to visit them. Their king never came. Their king never visited. Their king never cared. Their king never considered how they felt about something or how his decisions would impact them. Their king didn't feed them. Their king didn't come to serve them. He didn't care about them. And Jesus comes and Jesus says, you know what? God does. I want you to know that God loves you. That God's made a way for you as his children to come because he cares for you. He cares for providing for you. And even though you may feel like you're in the midst of a curse now, you will be blessed. You will go see your father. You will be rich in his kingdom. You will be provided for in his kingdom. And you will be a citizen. You will be a beloved child of God. You will be a co-heir with Christ. You will come into a place of prominence. Even though others abuse you and others make fun of you, you will be cared for as a child of God. But woe to those who make fun of others. Woe to those who mock Christians, mock people for their beliefs in Christ, mock people and make sport of them, who abuse them, who talk down to them, who oppress them, who malign them. Woe to those people. Well, why? They seem to have all the power. Woe to them because one day they will stand before your father. And they will stand before your father as a righteous judge who in an angry way will judge them for the things that they have said and the things that they have done. Can you imagine the comfort of those people who were there that day? What it must have been like for somebody to hear these words while they still had this hunger in their belly, while they knew they had to go home to this insignificant life that nothing really changed. These people that just continually came back, they knew that they were not going to live long. These people died. They had a short lifespan at that point. Generation after generation after generation after generation of simplicity and poverty and hopelessness. And now they're standing there listening to Jesus going, you're, you're telling me that there's a king beyond Caesar? And you're telling me that there's a kingdom that's greater than Rome? And that there is love for people like me, that there's grace and mercy for people like me, that there's compassion for people like me, that there's acceptance for people like me, that there's kindness for people like me, there's provision for people like me. Come on, how many of us can relate? How many of us have had those thoughts? How can that be, Jesus, for people like me? And Jesus says, yes. That's my kingdom. And I have come to introduce this kingdom to you as the humble king of all kings. One day there will be great power for those who may not feel it now. And lastly, the last thing is, is this place of fame. You know, he talks about fame 
And I, I, as I was reading these things and going through this, I find it amazing, and maybe you will as well, that all of these things are still idols. He was talking over 2,000 years ago about these things. He was talking about wealth and comfort and power and fame. Isn't it amazing that they're all still idols in the culture in which we live today? All those things, they're still idols in our lives, and it's hard. We have to fight those things. And in verse 26, Jesus said this. He said, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Now again, this place of fame is idolatry. It's living for your name. It's living for your recognition. As I was studying, I found this definition of idolatry, and I, and I, I kept being drawn back to it, and I kept going through it, and kept looking at it line by line. And I want to share it with you today, and then share why I was drawn back to it. This, is a, this definition of idolatry is this. Having anyone or anything at the center of your existence, the sum of your identity, the essence of who you are, what you live for, what's most important to you, what, if taken from you, brings you the most grief, tragedy, and sadness. Now, I was troubled with that definition because as I went through every line trying to figure this out and find out why this was troubling me, I went through each and every line and found out that I, there's, there's nothing that's untrue in each and every line there. And I realized what's troubling me was that with that definition, that means that all of us, we're all idolaters. All of us. It's all idolatry. And that's exactly the truth. We all live, we all live for our own fame. We live for our own comfort. We live for our own pleasures. It's, it's, it's the ethics of the culture of this world. That's where we live. It's for our fame. It's for our comfort and our pleasure. But the ethics of God's kingdom, doesn't God tell us that the ethics of his kingdom is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself? It's all about God and it's all about your neighbor. The focus in, in this culture, in this kingdom, is always inward. And in God's kingdom, in God's place of honor, it's all outward. It's all about that. This, this is the greatest distinction between Christianity and other religions. All these other religions are all about going out. Meditation and yoga and new age and even some of the contemporary kinds of religions that are out there. It's about me, me, me. It's about going in. It's about what I have. It's about what I can do. It's about what I can get. It's all about me. It's all about discovering me. It's all about meeting me. It's all about finding me. It's all about pleasing me and serving me and glorifying me and edifying me and honoring me. Me, me, me. And Jesus says, no, no. In my kingdom, it's all about the Father. It's all about the love that the Father has for us. It's all about him and his kingdom. And it's about the children in the family of God. That's who it's about. Amen. Well, how can that be? How, how can we do that? By realizing this, that God has already loved you. You don't have to earn his love. He's already loved you. You don't have to prove anything. He's already loved you. You don't have to do something. He's already loved you. So your fame, the fame that we think sometimes we need to fight for, it's not in your performance. It's not in your preeminence. It's not in your prominence. It's not in your prosperity. 
Your fame is in the fact that the king of all kings, the God of all gods, is the God who calls you his son, his daughter, and he is your father, and he has already loved you. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to redeem you, to find you, to redeem you, and to bring you home because of his love for you. Look, you're already... We think that we need to earn or find this place of fame and prominence. You're already known in heaven. Your name has been before the king and he calls you a son. You don't have to make yourself famous. You don't have to make yourself significant. You already are in God's kingdom. Listen, so Jesus said for those who are hated because of me, for those who are hated because of Jesus, for those who are hated because they're citizens of my kingdom, because for those who are hated because they live by the rules of a different kingdom, he says, you will be blessed. The Father loves you. And in his kingdom, you're gonna be treated graciously and compassionately and lovingly because you already, in his kingdom, hold a place of prominence. But woe to you Woe to you who live for the praise of men. Woe to you who worry about what everyone thinks. Worry about their approval ratings. Woe to you. Proverbs 29, 25 says that the fear of man is the snare. It's a trap. It's a trap. So if you're trying to find the approval of everyone around you, if you're just trying to please everybody else and satisfy everyone else and honor everyone else and live for everyone else so that they're going to praise you, so that they're going to appreciate you, so that they're going to approve of you, and then you can find your identity in their approval, Proverbs says that is a snare, that is a trap. And Jesus is ministering to this in this place in Beatitudes here. You know, in the very beginning of Proverbs, he begins with, in Proverbs 1, saying that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, in this cultural kingdom that we live, we live for fame, we live for name, we live for glory, we live for approval. But in God's kingdom, you live for God's fame, you live for God's name, you live for God's glory, you live for God's approval. In this world, church, we are called to live according to the kingdom that we have found or rooted our identity in. And so in this kingdom, we live for an audience of one. And he says, woe to you who care most about what others think, who care, whatever, who care most about what others might say about you, what others might post about you, what others might mention about you in a chat, what others say when you, about you when you do a Google search of yourself. Woe to you who are consumed with what people say about you on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat. Woe to you who find their identity in those places. Amen? Amen. Worship team, come on back up, would you please? Church, It does not matter what other people say about you. 
What matters is what your father says about you. It matters what God says about you. Because church, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. If your father is pleased with you, if he loves you, that is all that matters. That's all that matters. Because you're finding your security now in him. You're finding your identity rooted in his affections for you. So let me, let me close with this last statement. And then we will worship here for a moment and I will dismiss you. But I want you to contemplate this statement. Something the Lord laid on my heart. Our identity is established by which of these cultures you're rooted in. So our identity will be found in which, whichever one of these kingdoms we have allowed our roots to go down in. So identity is established by culture. And your identity then will establish your lifestyle. So your lifestyle will be a reflection of where you have rooted your identity. So what we do, the things that we say, the places we go, it's all a reflection of your, where you are finding or gaining your identity. And that identity is coming from which one of the cultures you have rooted yourself. Make sense? So, where is your identity rooted? I don't say that in a condemning way, please. I say that in a, in a loving way. Praise God. He's opened the door for repentance. He's opened the door for cleansing. He's opened the door for us to be washed and cleansed and to cast down those idols. And if you need help, He will help you. He's pretty good at knocking down idols. Read the Old Testament. He's really good at it. Ask Him. There's blessings and there's woes. There's this cultural kingdom and there's the kingdom of God. You know where he's called us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things, all the other things that this culture tries to tell you need to be preeminent and an idol in our life, all those other, I'll add all these things unto you. Well, Comfort, power, fame. Jesus confronts them pretty hardcore. Will you receive what the Lord is saying to you today? Or will you simply, because you don't like it, you don't like the messenger, you don't like the way it was proclaimed, you, you know, look, you don't like it because it's not truth that we're talking about or is it you don't like it because it makes you uncomfortable to have your idol rocked that's between you and him you and the Holy Spirit will you 
bow your heads with me in prayer? Lord, we need you. Lord, I want to thank you so much for this body of believers. I want to thank you so much for each and every life, that each and every one is significant and important, and you brought them here today, Lord, so that you could speak into their heart and into their life, that you love each one, Lord God, that each one is your favorite. And I thank you that today, Lord God, as you minister to your favorite child, you would do it, Lord, with grace and goodness, that you would do it, Lord God, in love. So that when the day comes that we stand before the, the judge, that, Lord God, we would find the mercy of a loving Heavenly Father. That we could come into the blessedness, Lord, that you have promised and provided, rather than the woe that you have warned us about. Help us, Lord God, to learn how to keep you at the center. Help us, Lord. Come on, if God's speaking to your heart today, you decide what you're going to do with that. What will you do with what the Spirit of the Lord has to say to you? something he's getting ready to give birth to and with that comes birthing pains I'm just going to believe that 2021 was just a year of birthing pains that 2022 is a year of birth amen God bless you go out there go be the church don't forget tomorrow start that time of fasting and prayer in your home join together let others know what you've got going on Go be a part of a life group. God bless y'all. We love you. Have a beautiful, blessed day today. God bless.